Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We continue our, our series called A Better Story. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the better story that we find in the, in the Bible, in the Scripture, the better story that we get to live in because of Jesus. And, you know, we live in a world of stories. There are stories about how we see the world, what it means to be human, how we live with meaning and purpose. And, and these stories are communicated through many means, through, through film, through stories, through media, through news, through theater, through music, through the performing arts. The, the story of the world is kind of, uh, is kind of told to us through the world, through a, bunch of different, uh, through a bunch of different things, through the culture that we live in. And, and these stories shape us in profound ways. Right? They shape every decision that we make, from how we spend our, mo- our money and our time, to, to the careers that we choose to pursue, to the investments that we make, to the people that we uh, uh, surround ourselves with as well. And ultimately, it informs what and where fulfillment and happiness can be found in this world. You know, as I look at the stories of the world, and I look at the hope and the story of hope that the world gives us, I just see it failing all around, right? In, in this season that in the West we're so, we're so lucky with our wealth and, and with our education, but as I look at the story of hope in the world today, it seems to be fleeting. We seem to be more separated than we ever have been. Anxiety seems to be at the, the heights that it has ever been at. And, and as Christians, we've actually been invited into a better story. Right? And over the last couple of weeks, Andrew and a couple of other people have helped unpack what that story looks like as we, as we go through the Bible. And this morning, as, as we preach, I'm going to preach on something that actually used to scare me as a child. And so I want to start us off with a story, if that's okay. The better story, I'm going to start with a story. I think it makes sense. But uh, Soph and I, we moved to Ormo um, just in this, about just over a year ago, actually. And we really love the area of Ormo. We love the community, but we love the sugar cane and the forest and stuff like that because it really reminds us of our home. Right? We grew up in Cairns where there's heaps of sugarcane everywhere and there's rainforests everywhere as well. There was creeks everywhere. We used to get to go and explore creeks and swim in them as kids. But does everyone know what is kind of synonymous in Australia with uh, sugarcane farms and forests, right? Snakes. Snakes. And so I actually, yeah, like that one. Isn't that a stunning photo of a snake? Right? It's got the sun setting in the background and everything. It'll kill you, but it's a stunning photo. And so growing up, I never actually used to be afraid of snakes, right? I grew up in Cairns and they were everywhere. We used to come across them as we were going out into the creeks and they were just a part of life. Like I didn't go out of my way to play with them or to pick them up or do even go close to them, but there wasn't something that I was afraid of until I had one experience, right? I just graduated high school and me and a group of other 18-year-old boys, we'd just been asked to go and house-sit for a missionary's family who'd gone overseas for three months. And it's a brave family inviting four 18-year-old boys into their house. And we had a lot of fun, and I'm sure there's going to be some stories that come out of that for future sermons. But we, where our house was, we lived really close to a forest. It was, like at the, it was at the top of the hill. At the bottom of the hill, there's heaps of sugar canes. And at the top of the hill, it was like rainforest and stuff like that. And I had a friend who was younger than us, so he wasn't allowed to live with us, but he lived up the road with his family. And he was, he was like a Steve Irwin-esque sort of person. And so he's actually, what he did for free time is he'd go into the forest or he'd go into the sugar cane and he'd collect snakes, right? It's weird. It seems manly, but it's mostly weird. He'd collect the snakes and he'd bring them... He'd bring them home, and 
they'd be at his house and he'd play with them at home. And eventually his parents, like any sane parents, were like, his name was Sam. They said, Sam, you can't do this anymore. You've got to stop bringing snakes home. It's scary. It's weird. It's scaring your sister. But Sam was addicted to finding these snakes. And he's like, you know what? Jimmy's just moved down the road for a couple of months. I'm going to take the snakes over to his house and we'll have fun there. And so he bought an inflatable kiddie pool, you know, like the little small inflatable kiddie pools. He had mesh. And so he used to bring snakes home and, and he'd put them in there. And, I, and we all thought he was weird. He'd say, yeah, look, they bite sometimes, but it's just like a little headache that you get every now and again. And most of the time it's fine. And we're like, what is going on in your head? And so he would bring snakes home and they'd be at our house. He'd play with them outside in the yard, but he'd bring them inside sometimes as well. And so it wasn't unnormal to find a snake in the kitchen or to be sitting on the couch and have a snake slither out from the, the, the couch beneath you. Generally, he was pretty good at taking them outside. But there was one instance that I'd come home quite late at night. It was a Sunday night. So I'd just been at Um, having dinner with friends. I came home one night exhausted because Sundays are a big day. And uh, I go straight to my room and it's cans, it's summer. And so I strip down just into my boxes because it's really hot, ready for bed, right? I turn off the lights, I pull back the sheets, I jump into bed. And as I'm stretching out in bed, my leg, it, it rubs up next to something that's not meant to be there, right? It rubs up next to something that's warm and it's wriggly, and I, I, I jump out of bed. I don't know what to do, but I don't know if you've ever been in that moment before sleep and something wakes you up, but it is terrifying. So I jumped out of bed, turned on the lights, pulled back the sheets, and I had a snake curled up underneath my sheets with its, it wasn't quite that big, it was like a baby scrub python, so it was like a meter long, but it was curled up underneath my sheets, and its head was like up, ready to strike, because obviously I just disturbed its slumber. And from that moment on, I've been terrified of snakes, right? I called up my friend, it was like 12 a.m. I said, mate, you're coming over here right now. You're going to get this snake out of my room and you're going to get all of them out of our house, actually. Like at that moment, I'd never been scared, but at that moment, there was that one instance that had woken me up and it terrified me. And now I, I hate snakes. And I reckon there's a bunch of us that have had experiences in our lives that have lead us, left us fearful of something. And another time as a kid, I was actually, this is embarrassing to say, but I used to be really scared of tall trees, which is not a great thing in Cairns, right? There's lots of rainforests, there's lots of boardwalks. My parents love taking us on boardwalks. My brother's here, he knows every Sunday after church and before our evening service, we used to go on the boardwalk and the boardwalk surrounded by tall trees and there was just something about the trees that I don't know what it was, but they scared me, right? Like they're gonna fall over, they're big, they're strong. And so I couldn't look up at the trees and I had to look down at the boardwalk every time, like kind of Charlie Browning it along the boardwalk. And my other brothers, he's like, they're like three and they're just loving life. And I'm terrified of these tall trees and the boardwalk creaks and I think it's a tree gonna fall over. Like I just had these fear attacks of trees and I had absolutely no reason for it, right? I reckon a bunch of us have fears that actually aren't um, rooted in fact. Like we don't have a reason for those fears, but we're still scared of them anyway. And the last fear that I want to talk to us about is something that really plagued my teenage years. And uh, it's, not, it's not a fear of anything in particular, but it's fear of a concept, right? When I was growing up and when I thought of the, uh, the, the concept of eternity, right, that used to really scare me. And I know that can kind of sound weird because eternity and heaven's meant to be this awesome thing, but in my head I was just going over, man, that seems like a long time. Like a really long, like it never ends. And, And as a a child, I couldn't think of anything in my life that I would want to do for eternity. And so if I'm being honest right now, eternity scared me. It seemed like an awful long time. And and the reality is, it it is an awful long time, right? But the truth is, is that the question of what comes after death is something that all of us will have to answer one day. 
At some point or another, you'll have to answer, and, and what you think of the afterlife is going to matter. You know, the story that the world tells us is that it ends. Right after this life, there's nothing. Nothing's going to follow. And so you've got to make the most out of what you can and seek fulfillment in every day. The story of the world is that this life is all that we've got. So make sure you find satisfaction. Make sure you find fulfillment in every day. Make the most that you can out of it. And I reckon this kind of mentality, this kind of thinking leads to this like FOMO culture that we're living in at the moment, right? Does anyone know what FOMO means? Do people know what FOMO means? Yeah, what, George, what's it mean? Fear of missing out, right? I don't know if you've felt this. I've felt this plenty of times in my life, and it's in a legit thing. I know FOMO sounds like a fake word, but it's actually made its way into the dictionary now, and the definition of FOMO is an anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on social media. Has anyone suffered from FOMO before, the fear of missing out? No? Okay, just a couple of people in the front row, but that's all right. You guys couldn't see it. No one else raised their hand. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know about you, but for me, it doesn't, there doesn't even need to be a post. On, so I don't even have to know that someone else is doing something better. I can just be sitting in my own life unsatisfied with what I'm doing, thinking that there's something greater that would be a more useful, uh, useful use of my time. And, and I suffer from FOMO. And I think that's the culture that we live in because we're wanting to get the most out of every day. And if we don't get the most out of every day, if we see something that someone else is doing, we feel like we're not doing enough. We want to experience everything in the moment. We don't want to miss out. We want to experience everything that's off on offer because when it's gone, it's gone. Right? That's the story. It's the story of the world. It's the story that the world offers. And I reckon even if people don't explicitly say that they're atheists, or if they don't explicitly deny the afterlife, I reckon in our culture today, the way that we live is it's all about the present. It's all about the present. With a frantic energy, we feel the pressure to be a part of everything that we can be a part of, and it leads to a great anxiety. It leads to an underlying feeling of loss. It leads to FOMO. You know, as much as we try it, Sometimes it's just so hard to escape the mundanity and the repetitive nature of life. And I know that sounds really bleak, and you probably didn't expect that message to be coming so early on your Sunday morning, but the reality, it's the mon- the reality is, is that it was the mundaneness of life that used to make me scared of eternity. It was the thought of everything being bland, of being numb, of never finding lasting fulfillment that made me terrified of eternity. The story the world tells us is that when we reach the end of this life, it's the end. There's nothing to follow. But the reality is, is that the fulfillment that you find in today's world is empty. It leaves you wanting more. When you're so focused on the here and the now, you miss on the hope and you miss out on the promise of what is to come. Now, when we look to the Bible, we're told that there's more than just skin and bone. There's more than just what our bodies are made of. There's more than just our organs. There's actually a soul that lives inside us, something that doesn't die when our body fails. Now, it's just a fact of life that eventually everyone's going to die. Everyone who has ever lived, it's a fact, everyone who has ever lived has died at some point. And it's a fact that we've got to, we've got to reconcile with ourselves and uh, the hope of the gospel is that when our bodies die, there's something that lives on. And you know, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Now, Jesus is saying that our soul is more important than our body. When people kill our body, our soul lives on. There's this part of us, right? It's a part that's not visible, 
but it's like our emotions, our identity. It's like the inner core of our being. It's who, it's who we are. And, and this part transcends our body. And, and so when our body is killed, our souls live on. Now, Jesus says in another part of the Bible, in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You know, it's through our belief in Jesus that we get to experience eternal life. It says, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You know, the Bible doesn't make everything super clear for us. I reckon there's a part of us in our human nature that just wants to rationale it all out, that just wants to be able to, to reason it all. But the reality is, is that we've got questions, and unfortunately, the Bible doesn't necessarily answer all of them. Right? We're left wondering, okay, if our souls are living on, does that mean they're going to walk? Does that mean they're going to float? Like, there's, when's the end time going to come? When's the rapture going to come? How's it going to come? What's going to happen? And, you know, the Bible answers some of these questions, but not in the depth that we'd always like, not in the clarity that we would always like. And so we're left wondering a little bit, wondering and waiting. But, you know, when I look to the life of Jesus and, and the way that he spoke and, and his actions and, and his life, when I look to Jesus, I see his confidence in knowing what comes next, right? That's where I find my hope and my confidence for what happens next. Jesus' life and his actions, how he spoke, shows that he knows it to be true, that he knows heaven to be real, that our souls will live on. And you know, Jesus, when he was up on that cross, when he was being crucified, I'm sure a bunch of us know the story, he's having a conversation with the two criminals next to him. And it says in Luke 23, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now Jesus' words and, and his actions show what he knows to be true. They show his confidence. Even when facing death, he calls it paradise, right? He knows what's to come after he dies, and he calls it paradise. There's a life beyond this life, and it sounds incredible. And I think so often when we think of heaven, and when the media portrays heaven, what we think of is just these, these old people running around in togas or lounging on daybeds and playing harps, right? And if I'm being honest... That image of heaven doesn't really excite me, right? Togas look comfy, they look breathy and all that, and a harp is a majestic instrument that when played well sounds phenomenal, but when I think of eternity and what I'm going to be doing forever, that doesn't excite me, right? That feels like it's going to get old quickly. You know, another picture I think when we, when we see heaven is just this endless worship set that's never going to stop, Right? It's an endless worship set, and you know, I'm the worship pastor here as well, and, and so I love worship. I love getting to be able to worship with our singing, but if I'm being honest, I reckon I've got a couple of hours in me tops before my voice gives way, right? And so when I think about eternal worship in heaven, and I'm just thinking about this Hillsong set that's going to last forever, and it doesn't matter the band, the reality is I think I'm going to get tired of that. I'm going to get a little bit bored of that, and it, and it scares me a little bit. It scares me. Forever is a long time to be sitting in togas and, and singing. It's a long time. You know, when I try to reconcile myself with what eternity goes from, this is a journey that I did in my teenage years. 
when I try and reconcile it for myself, I turn to the Scriptures. You know, Revelation is a fantastic book. It's an interesting book, but it's a fantastic book. And if you haven't read it, I'd really encourage you to read it this week. And there's a lot going on in it, so you're not going to get bored, that's for sure. You know, there's angels and, and there's dragons and this terrifying-looking beast thing. And there's a lamb that's slain in all of heaven and all of uh, earth worship. It's, it's just this huge, huge struggle between good and evil, and there's a heavenly warrior that defeats Satan as well. Like, there's a lot going on in the book, and so if you're going to read a book this week, I encourage you to let it be Revelation. Now, there's a lot that goes on, and, and sometimes it's hard to process it all, and, you know, theologians have debated different theologies around the end times and around Revelation for, for endless days, people who are way smarter than me. I'm going to believe that they're going to keep debating on all this sort of stuff, and so this morning as we're talking about eternity, we're not going to debate the concepts of annihilationism. We're not going to debate the concepts of dispensational premillennialism. And some of you are thinking, oh, thank the Lord, James. We don't want to talk about that. When I say those words, I'm sure some of you are thinking, I just swore or said something that you've never heard of before. And I reckon there's other people here that would really love to talk about annihilationism and all of these other fun things. But we're not going to talk about that today because I reckon if we're going to sum the book of Revelation down into two words, the summary of it is that God wins. Right? God wins. The final two chapters of Revelation actually paint a beautiful picture for us of what heaven is going to look like. And, and it says in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, from heaven, uh, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. No death, no mourning, no crying or pain. How good does that sound, right? You know, Mackenzie campus pastor Tim Lucas preached a message on eternity last week in our 6 p.m. service, and he went into a lot more depth around some of this, this stuff around eternity and what it's going to look like. I want to encourage you to go and find that. I think he's preaching it this morning at Mackenzie, so we'll go and find that because he does a great job of unpacking some of the misconceptions that we have around eternity, but he goes into much more detail, and he uses some uh, prophecies from the book of Isaiah as well, talking about how we won't end up in heaven doing nothing. Like, we're not going to just be in heaven sitting around in togas. We're not doing nothing. We're actually going to be there. We're going to be serving God. We're going to be worshiping God. There'll be all kind of works for us to do in heaven, but work that won't be meaningless, right? work that has a purpose, work that won't be boring, it won't be bland or, or make you numb. But instead, you will live in the glory of God and in his presence forever. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty awesome to me. Now, the better story written in the Bible is that we have a soul that outlives our physical body, a soul that will live on for eternity in the presence of our almighty God. Now, we are eternal creatures in a temporary body, and this life is not the end. Now, I think there's great excitement that comes with that. And I wonder if people can remember this morning what it used to be like on, on Christmas Eve in your household as your kid, or maybe you've got kids now and you know exactly what Christmas Eve feels like. But for me growing up, I think Christmas Eve is the most excited I ever got. 
Right, I don't know about you, but I never used to be able to sleep on Christmas Day. Like, I used to get so worked up with energy about how good the next day was going to be that I couldn't go to sleep. And then there's something about Christmas Eve is it just, it changed the way that I behaved as well, right? For some reason, I was so much more nicer to my brothers and sisters. I was so much more well-behaved. I was, I was so much happier. And it wasn't because of this concept of Santa and not getting my presents if I wasn't going to be good. That wasn't what it was about at all. I was changed because of the excitement I had for what the next day was going to bring, right? I was so excited about how awesome the next day was going to be that I couldn't, I couldn't help but be happy. I couldn't, be, I couldn't help but be overwhelmed with joy. And that's a bad illustration, but, but I think it can be the same way with eternity as well. Now, we don't need to live with a panicked fear that we're missing out or worry that we're not experiencing absolutely everything that the world has to offer in our 70 or so years on earth. And instead, we're set free of that expectation, right? We're set free of that anxiety of feeling like we've got to accomplish everything, that we have to try everything. Instead, we can live in the freedom of knowing that the other side is going to be so much greater, that the other side is going to bring fulfillment and satisfaction lasts. Now, you don't have to experience everything here and now, because once you reach the other side, you'll experience more than you could ever hope or dream. And when you live in that freedom, I think there's two really distinct changes to our behavior, right? Kind of like me as a child on Christmas Eve, I think there's two distinct changes to our behavior. And firstly, where the world tells us to love selectively, I think our hope for eternity encourages you to love powerfully. And secondly, when the world tells us to live in fear, our hope in eternity encourages us to live fearlessly. And when the world tells us to love selectively and live with fear, the hope of eternity means that we should love powerfully and live fearlessly. The world's story is to love selectively, but the better story is to live fearlessly. What do I mean when I say that the world's narrative of love is to uh, to love selectively? Now, you're supposed to love those that are close to you, right? You're supposed to love your parents and and your friends and your family and those that matter to you. But I reckon the narrative of the story today is that you should love when it's convenient to you, when it makes sense, when there's going to be fruit of that love that's going to help you and help you get further along. But you only do it when it helps you. Right? The narrative of the world is to experience all that it has to offer, and so we seek love to experience all that the world has to offer. It's a selfish pursuit, right? It's a love that says, I will love you in a way that's dependent on how I'm feeling. I love you in a way that's dependent on how you treat me. I love you in a way that's dependent on how convenient it is for me in this moment. I love you in a way that is dependent on how it's going to help me in the future. You know, we put a high importance of love in this world and, and on experiencing, right? It's at the center of all the stories. It's at the center of all the movies and, and all the novels, the literature. And it's a key factor in society today, but it has a tendency to be selfish. Right? And, and when the Bible talks about love, it's different. I'm going to read a, a Bible verse that you've probably heard at every wedding you've ever been to in your life. It's 1 Corinthians 13, and the Bible says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. 
It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You know, but so often in the world, the narrative of love I see isn't like that, right? It's not patient. Love is rushed. Right? It goes quickly. It does boast. It is proud. It's quick to become passionately angry and, and make lists of your past wrongs and, and keep you accountable to them. The narrative of the world is to love selectively. Love those when it's convenient for us, when it helps to get you ahead, when it brings us moments of fleeting joy and happiness. But you know, when you have the right perspective of eternity, I think it changes, right? You don't love selectively. You begin to love powerfully. In Philippians 2, uh, verse 1 to 4, it says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You know, I think that's an eternal perspective of love. But I think we feel most satisfied in life when we love other people greatly, unconditionally, when we make other people great. You know, knowing your identity as sons and daughters of Christ allows us to love powerfully and allows us to live for the glory of God. And, and when you live in the hope of eternity, it helps you not to be selfish with your love. Not to love for self-gratification, but, but to love powerfully in the same way that God loves us. You know, when the satisfactions, when the fulfillment that you chase in life doesn't bring lasting satisfaction or lasting fulfillment, and you find yourself caught in that mundane of life, when you find yourself beginning to feel numb or beginning to feel bored or frustrated or anxious, I want to encourage you to remind yourselves of the hope we have in eternity, the hope that we have because of Jesus. I encourage you to remind yourselves of that. Allow that confidence to enable you to love powerfully, to build others up. You know, to love them unconditionally. You know, it's by our love that others will know that we are Christians. It's, not, it's by our love that others will know that we are in Christ. And, and so when you live in the hope of eternity, you love powerfully. And it's important for our walk here on earth. Right? It's important. It's an important way that our behavior changes when we live with the right perspective of eternity. You know, the world's narrative is to live in fear, as I said before, and I think the story of the world is that you need to live in fear, where the better story is that you're called to live fearlessly. You know, the world's narrative of life is to live in fear, to live in fear of missing out, to live in the fear that you're not going to be good enough, to live in the fear that you're not going to live up to other people's expectations, to live in the fear that you're not going to experience everything that you want to experience, to live in the fear that you're not going to be fulfilled in your job, you're not going to be fulfilled with anything that you put your hands on. You know, I reckon I could go on forever lasting, uh, listing fears that the world tells us. And I think it's because the reality that we sometimes see in this world is that we're supposed to live in fear. It's how we're created, but that's not the truth, right? I reckon sometimes even when our society sees someone living fearlessly, when they see someone who's assured and confident in who they're called to be, I reckon there's a tendency in the world's narrative to want to bring them down, right? To want to bring them down to everyone else's level, to take them down a step. There's almost an understanding that we're supposed to live in fear, 
You know what? It's crippling. It's exhausting. It's debilitating. We weren't created to live in constant fear of other people's judgments or constant fear of other people's ideals or what they'll think. You know, when you have the right perspective of eternity, it allows you to live fearlessly. And when you truly understand that, that this life isn't about chasing the fulfillment of everything that you can get your hands on. When you come to the understanding that FOMO isn't something that's just going to magically disappear. And sometimes it's actually one of the key factors in that doubt or that worry, that anxiety that you might be feeling as well. Now when you realize that this life doesn't mark the end, that's when you can live fearlessly. Right? Not afraid to try things. Not afraid to be who God has called you to be. Not afraid to be yourself. The assuredness that you have of what comes next allows you to be confident in your identity in Christ. It means that you don't have to be embarrassed. You're free to enjoy every moment of life knowing that the best is yet to come. And I know that sounds like another preacher, but I truly believe it. But you don't have to live in the fear that you're not going to do everything you want to do in this life. Because you're confident in the hope of eternity. Right? And you know that what happens there is going to be so much greater than what happens here. And I reckon it's freeing for us. That deeper understanding that what comes next is going to be even better. Now, other people's judgments and ideals don't seem to matter as much. Because you know that this life is fleeting. It. There's something far more valuable to come. Now, when you live in the hope of eternity... It changes your perspective on everything. All of a sudden, this life isn't just about you, right? It's a part of a bigger story. It's a part of a better story. And the beautiful thing about this story is that the invitation is for everyone. Right? The invitation to this better story of hope and, and eternity is for everyone. And we need to be the people to invite others to be a part of that story. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.